when it comes to educating that next generation of African-American students, we're all together on that. We're all aligned, we're all in sync. It's about going out there and providing access to as many students as possible. Peace family, Will Roundtree here on the full-time CEO podcast, The Shit They Don't Tell You, where we talk to entrepreneurs, CEOs, and very influential individuals about their journey, about their life, entrepreneurship, and meshing all of that together. But today, I'm extremely excited about our guest here today, a very influential individual, uh, uh, has worn a lot of different hats. Uh, uh, you know, he, he's, he's a leader in his own right. He's in charge because he's the president of Jackson State University, Thomas Hudson. But just a little bit about my good friend, President Thomas Hudson, grew up in Jackson, Mississippi. Now, a lot of people don't know, I actually have a lot of family in Jackson, Mississippi. So I'm even more excited to have uh, Thomas on, uh, where he attended and graduated from JSU in 1999. He went on to receive his Juris Doctor from the University of Mississippi School of Law. So that lets you know he, he's also an attorney, he knows his stuff and all that. Uh, with an equity-based focus, Hudson established a successful private practice and served as the EEO specialist for the Department of Homeland Security. That means he got some, some security clearances up in his background or something. So, uh, so also Hudson served as acting president of JSU before being named president on November 19, 2020 by the Board of Trustees of State Institutions of Higher Learning. So needless to say, he knows his stuff, he's a leader, he, 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 he's, he's someone that people have to pull in his coat strings, I'm pretty sure, quite often. So I want to introduce all of you guys to my good friend, Thomas Hudson. How are you doing today, sir? Hey, thank you so much for that introduction. I'm doing great. I'm doing awesome. Definitely. First of all, how's the weather out there in, in Mississippi? You know what? It's actually been a really good day today. Uh, we've had a little bit of cool weather, a little rain. Uh, but we're definitely into fall, which is my favorite season. So uh, it's been a nice, crisp, uh, cool, clear day. Uh, perfect football weather, I would say. So. <laughs> Absolutely. So a little fun fact about me, uh, Thomas. I actually graduated high school in Kosciuszko, Mississippi. Are you familiar yeah. with Kosciuszko? Yes, I am. My family is actually up from that way. Uh, my parents, you know, of course, came to Jackson where I was born. But I actually have family up towards Kosciuszko, Lee County, uh, that area. Okay. Uh, yes. We might be cousins. We don't even know. You never know. You never know. <laughs> Absolutely, Thomas. So first of all, uh, again, thank you for taking time out of your extremely busy schedule. Uh, so one of the reasons I wanted, well, one of the many reasons I want to have you on is I actually had uh, read about you guys financial wellness and uh, financial literacy program. And it caught my attention because one of the many things that you know, I talk to in my community and as I've traveled this country speaking about financial literacy, one of the kind of, I don't wanna use the word debates or arguments, but for a lack of better word, that's something that they often talk about that they wish a lot of uh, financial literacy would be taught more often in you know, uh, colleges and higher education and institutions. Uh, what was the, 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 the you know, kind of the motivation of putting that program together? I'm glad you brought that up, and I know it's uh, right in line with some of the goals of your podcast, but it's really about closing what is a significant wealth gap uh, between uh, white Americans and African Americans, and what is our part in closing that gap. So we opened up this financial wellness center in partnership with Wells Fargo through our College of Business, and what it does is infuses that financial literacy right into the HBCU curriculum. So answering that question you asked at the onset of what if I knew then, now what I knew then, you know, what if I were taught some of these things? And what it does, it provides students with that one-on-one -on -one coaching. Uh, we do workshops on money management, budgeting, and just overall financial literacy. You know, we as black people, we have about $1.4 trillion in buying power. Uh, but our wealth doesn't match that buying power. So what this does is it uses our curriculum uh, with some of those tips and some of those uh, skills and resources needed to really help close that wealth gap we talked about from the onset 
And we feel that this will be a game changer. We're the first HBCU to launch such a center, but we certainly want to see this spread uh, throughout the HBCU world. No, absolutely. And I was actually going to highlight that, that you guys are the first HBCU to launch a, a program of this magnitude. Is it just for uh, current students, alums? Is it open to the community? How do you guys decipher who this would be for and who is your target uh, demographic? Well, for this particular center, it is for uh, our current students. And again, it's about giving them the tools uh, necessary, uh, the financial literacy tools, those things that I wish I had known coming out of college. You know, again, budgeting, uh, credit scores. Uh, I, you know, my story is that I did not know my credit scores until I was well out of college. Being able to know the impact of a credit score on future things like home loans, car loans, uh, how do you manage your student debt? How do you make smarter decisions in college so to have a better impact on you once you're done with college? So these are some of the things, again, as far as our current students, uh, it's certainly something we'll look at providing these resources and expanding in the future. But right now, it's for those current students is to give them some of those tools they need uh, when you're in that 18 to 22 year old demographic where you're just really getting started, uh, helping them learn more about financial literacy also aligns with the university's strategic plan in terms of student success being about meeting the needs of the whole student, uh, financial health and wellness, uh, in addition to curriculum, student activities and the like. And so this is just in furtherance of our goal and mission as a university. Definitely. So when it comes to this uh, financial literacy program, is it more so for life skills? Is it uh, helping to prepare entrepreneurs, a little bit of both? What's the main goal with this program? It's a little bit of both. Again, we have a curriculum that talks about entrepreneurship, you know, which we can talk about. But the main thing is that those life skills, those things, those day-to-day uh, -day tools that you don't often learn in that academic setting, this center helps you with that. And again, things like budgeting, uh, those are skills that are not often taught in a college curriculum. Uh, things about you know the terms of loans, how to look for those hidden fees, how your credit score affects uh, really your overall quality of life, how much you're spending in interest uh, versus how much you're able to put back, how much money you have to invest in your education or in your offspring's education. These are real life tools that are not often taught in college campuses. So uh, being the first HBCU to have this type of financial wellness center, we again, we, want, we love being the first, I'm pretty competitive, but the fact is this is something that we really want uh, to spread throughout the HBCU landscape. Definitely. So with that being said, can you discuss the role the university plays in preparing individuals for entrepreneurship, if that is a path that they're choosing to take? Absolutely. You know, we're in an ever-changing world and, you know, industries are coming and going. There are certain industries that were prominent uh, 50 years ago that are not here today. But conversely, there are things that we're doing now when you look at social media and whatnot. It was not a career even when I was a student. So it's up to the university to uh, encourage our students to meet the moment and provide them with those skills that would allow them to remain flexible. So what we do, we really owe it to our students uh, to allow them the mechanism and the program and the curriculum uh, to use their skills, creativity, and talent for those types of careers that might not even have been invented yet, haven't been thought of. So not so much pointing you in a particular direction, but giving you the type of skills you need to stay flexible. That's what entrepreneurship does. That's what it's about. It's really about how can you use the skills that you have to meet the needs of today. And at Jackson State, you know, we have a whole department of entrepreneurship really geared just towards that. Uh, and, and we're very proud of that department. Again, it's a flex, it's about flexibility, it's about creativity, it's about really honing a skill set that allows you to stay, keep the type of flexibility need to meet the needs of today. And, and that's what we really try to use here at Jackson State. No, I, I love that, Thomas, because, you know, it, it, it's about being uh, changing with the time. You know, one of the reasons why I see a lot of current businesses are dying because they're scared to change with the times when it comes to social media. You know, uh, I remember probably about 12, 13 years ago when I first uh, started working for an internet advertising agency, uh, their primary focus was internet advertising, right. but they were still stuck on the phone book. Mm -hmm. But because they were, they were scared to make that conversion, a lot of those businesses died. And so the fact that you guys are willing to kind of change with the times and people uh, looking to uh, say, hey, yeah, I'm going to college, 
but let me take this information and skill set to start my own engineering firm, to start my own law practice, to open up my own medical facility. So with those individuals, what would you say, Thomas, to those who, you know, because of, of the rising cost of higher education, that that could potentially deter uh, the number of applicants that are signing up and applying for college? That's a great question. And just kind of, you know, before I answer that, just kind of going back to what you said about uh, just keeping up with the times, you know, advertising and whatnot. Uh, even when I was in private practice, which was not that long ago, phone book advertising was your biggest means of reaching clients. And that's totally flipped uh, less than a decade later. And, you know, when we talk about entrepreneurship, you know, we opened the Center for Entrepreneurship and Innovation and Economic Development uh, just over a year ago. And what that is, is just a cross-disciplinary uh, organization and a center which encourages entrepreneurship, creativity across disciplinary lines. Uh, we have a podcast space, we have 3D printing um, and a green screen to support those students' creativity and again, breed those future entrepreneurs. So that's part of what we're doing and we're able to do all this stuff when you talk about uh, affordability. We've been able to do these things without increasing the cost of tuition. Wow. That affordability is a huge deterrent in terms of allowing students to matriculate at Jackson State University. And so the last two years, we've been able to hold the line, uh, especially during this pandemic in terms of increasing tuition. Uh, we've also been able to invest money back into the student uh, through the use of our HERP dollars with the federal stimulus. We invested millions of dollars in the free textbook program. Uh, student tuition during summer, we were able to cover those costs and also cover the balances of students, uh, on-campus students who you know, were uh, negatively impacted by the pandemic. So just a lot of different things and in a lot of different ways we've been able to invest in the students, again, without raising the cost of tuition. Uh, in fact, about three years ago, we actually lowered our overall tuition, our out-of-state tuition, where we reduced our out-of-state fees from about $11,000 a year to about $1,000 a year. A real game changer in terms of the affordability for students from outside the state of Mississippi who want to continue to receive their Jack the, uh, degree in their education at Jackson State University. About a third to 40% of our students do come from out of state. And we did want to make sure we took steps to make college affordable for them, just as well as our in-state students. Wow, so th that actually goes into my next question, Thomas. And can you talk to me about you guys' robust strategic plan uh, regarding the vision of the university? Because obviously, you know, making the, the, the change of saying, hey, we want to change with the times. We've heard the plights of, you know, rising costs. We've hear, you know, we hear people talking about entrepreneurship. We're starting this financial wellness program. So I'm assuming that's where that strategic plan comes in to play. But can you talk a little bit more about that just in depth for us? Sure. And, and just broadly, uh, the strategic plan uh, was about a two-year effort, which actually started in the previous administration, but it was a two-year effort to really bring the universities together under one set of common goals and standards. And so what we did, we came up with our strategic plan, which is entitled JSU Elevate, and it has six specific goals, but they're not separate. They all lend into each other. So the first three, student success, uh, academic prominence and research excellence, all three of those deal with the core mission of the university, student success, really focusing on those outcomes, student retention, persistence, overall graduation rate, and also what happens after the students graduate in terms of going into great jobs. Academics, you know, again, we wanna make sure we have that academics, academic prominence, being one of the top HBCUs and continuing our trajectory, not only is one of the top HBCUs in the nation, but also one of the top public research institutions in the nation. Uh, Jackson State is a R2, which is the second highest designation you can have to, in Carnegie, definitely looking to improve on that status. But that academic uh, prominence means innovating our curriculum, you know, meeting the moment in terms of making sure we have the type of curriculum, we offer the type of programs that allow students to meet the needs of today. And again, research, you've heard me talk about being an R2 university. We want to take that next step. There are 131 universities that have reached that highest level R1 Carnegie status. None are HBCUs. So we're proud to be one of 10 HBCUs that have reached that R2 status. There is another step that we can take. And again, it's going to be, it's going to take looking at our curriculum, further engaging our undergraduate and graduate students 
and research opportunities, bringing in more federal dollars to the university through contracting and our grants and, and research. So those are the first three elements of the strategic plan and all three of those align with our core mission. If you look at goals four, five, and six, all of those work in support of our core mission. Uh, athletics, athletic prowess, uh, that's something that's very important for a school like Jackson State University. We have such a rich history on and off the field, the highest GPA and graduation rate in the Southwest Athletic Conference amongst our athletic programs, which is something we're very proud of. Uh, we just recently won a championship in volleyball, which is our 157th championship over the life of, our, of, of the life of the university. So these are some of the things that we look at and all that does is serves to enhance the university as a whole. And then we look at goals five and six, campus sustainability, that's really about the physical plant, the spaces that we create that allow students to learn, matriculate, and live here from the classrooms to the dining hall to the residence halls uh, to just those common spaces that allow the students to be the best that they are and then the last one deals with just the overall JSU brand really enhancing our alumni affairs our fundraising our giving all of those things that make up the image of Jackson State really putting the U in JSU so again when we look at our strategic plan six goals all interrelated all interrelated all lead up to our core mission, which is an institution that's engaged in teaching, learning, and research. Okay, so um, so uh, you definitely said a lot there, but when I hear all of that, Thomas, it makes me think of you have to make sure you have a great leader that is going to be able to cast that vision. You know, in, in the book, The 21 Irrefutable Laws of Leadership by John Maxwell, and I reference this book often, one of the laws they talk about is the law of the vision. And, and I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm assuming this, is, you know, like you say, this is a two-year initiative uh, and it started with the previous administration, but it fell in your lap. So you have to be the visionary. Uh, how do you mentally prepare to be able to cast this vision for something that literally could be the, the new legacy or forming into the new legacy for such a historical uh, university such as Jackson State? So how do you mentally prepare for that type of uh, vision? Well, I was fortunate in that even though this uh, strategic planning effort started under the previous administration, I actually served as co-chair for uh, the overall strategic planning committee. So was very hands-on and in-depth in terms of casting the vision, as you say, uh, for the next five to 10 years for the university through this plan. But you know the mindset you need, like you said, it, you said it all in terms of having that vision, being able to think with the end in mind. And so you start by wondering, where do you want to be? Where do you want to go? What are your overall goals? And how do you work back from there? And when I think about the mindset, I always come back to flexibility and stability, meaning you have the flexibility to change with the times that's needed. Higher ed is forever changing. Higher ed is something that the way we do things now post-pandemic are totally different than the way we've done things before. And do you have that ability to change and stay current with the times? But also, and almost somewhat contradictory, you have to have stability, okay? You have to have a core. What are your inner beliefs? You know, what moves you? Uh, what keeps you centered? You know, for me, it's always been those twin values of access and equity, access and equity, access to programming, access to higher education, and equity within. Those are my core values, and those are the things that center me, and those are the things that are at the center of all that I do in terms of the leadership of this university. Okay, great. Yeah, no, definitely. And you know, and one of the things that I'm often always looking to improve on is that leadership. So when I hear you talk about those things and talking about mindset, because I mean, let's let's be honest, mindset usually in any area of your life is usually about 80 to 90 percent of, of the of the feet. You know, the you have to have a certain mindset, and when you set your your sights on something. You have to be mentally tough to endure whatever is coming on the back end. So as we talk about that, and this is also a part of being a leader, what do you say to those who predict that uh, in the future, higher education may start to actually lose its value? Well, you know, higher education will always be uh, a necessity as long as we continue to evolve, uh, as long as we continue to evolve from a technological standpoint, uh, as long as we continue to evolve as a society in terms of equity, 
you know, if you look at the events of the last couple of years, uh, from the George Floyd movement uh, to the pandemic, all of those things in terms of answering the big questions of society, higher ed has been at the forefront and at the at both at the forefront and the center of answering those questions and responding to those needs, particularly HBCUs. So again, we will continue uh, to be necessary in terms of answering the questions, uh, joining the debate, just being a part of the solutions of the issues that plague society. And that environment that we provide here at Jackson State and all HBCUs and higher ed in general is necessary to continue to cultivate those future leaders of tomorrow who will continue to answer the questions. You know, what's the problem in society? What are some of the things that plague society? Whether it's a pandemic and the need to come up with a vaccine, uh, whether it's again, the social justice movement and a need to really come up with ways that how we can all live together in an equitable and just society, your colleges and universities are gonna be at the forefront of really answering the questions and providing the leaders to help us get through those moments. So, you know, my answer to anyone is that higher ed will forever be relevant. Uh, we'll always be here. Jackson State just recently was celebrated its 144th year. And I can tell you that we're really just getting started. There's so much work to be done. And that's true, true across the whole higher ed landscape. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and, I, and I love how you preference and talk about even just from a social issue, how it would be relevant, and then even within our communities. So how would you say that HBCUs prepare African-American communities to be uh, uniquely prepared, I would like to say, in their uh, respective industry or profession? Well, holistically, you know, we're excellent at educating students and reminding uh, those students of the contributions that were made by their ancestors. You know, those contributions that are made by us as Black intellectuals, uh, the academicians and professionals that come through HBCUs. Also from a leadership standpoint, it's one of the few places where you can go in from top to bottom, you're seeing true examples of African-American leadership from your presidents uh, to your deans, to your teachers. Certainly not in something you're gonna experience in most uh, predominantly white institutions, unfortunately, when you look at the top to bottom leadership that you'll see at African-American uh, HBCUs. So that's gonna be very important. It's very important for a mindset of a student who is leaving college, going out into the world, what examples of African-American excellence, African-American leadership have you truly been exposed to? But there's also more of a personal side to it. There's the side that, that you know, when you look out your window, when I'm able to look out my window, I see, you know, African-American students in STEM, future engineers forming a study group. I can look to my right and see future uh, African-American attorneys studying together, going to class. Those are things that you just do not get in those experiences that you do not get at other institutions. That's very important to our makeup. And finally, you just have the overall student support uh, and the overall student activities, the culture, the lifestyle of HBCUs. Uh, just a lively place, a great place to spend four years of your life uh, learning, becoming the person who you're meant to be, and doing so in an environment that's nurturing and made for you. Uh, there are very few opportunities that you'll get in life to really learn, grow in an environment that's made exactly for you, that was set up exactly for you, and that's really set up for you to succeed and not fail. Correct. So um, how would you, well, let's, let's shift gears a little bit here, Thomas. Um, discuss the leadership and mindset that's needed to serve uh, for an organization uh, of being president of, Uni of Jackson State University. What, 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 is the, what, what type of mindset and leadership skills are needed? Well, you know, we talked about earlier, you know, the need to have that vision, again, beginning uh, with the end in mind, seeing where you need to be and seeing where your university aligns within not only the higher education landscape, but also the political and the social landscape of where you are. Jackson State is located in the city of Jackson, a city that's had its share of issues, but also has great potential. How can Jackson State be a part of this great city fulfilling its potential? And again, what is Jackson State's role in doing that across the higher ed landscape? How do we as an HBCU fit across the higher ed landscape and how do we be a part of this push, uh, this great push for black excellence? Your mindset has to be with those things in mind. It can't be a selfish mindset in terms of what would my legacy be. It's what would the JSU legacy be? What would JSU look like 
And will it be in a better place after I've left than it was when I found it? And again, I talked about I talked about those um, you know those twin values of access and equality. You know, access providing that access to education as a leader that has to be first and foremost. How does my university continue to provide that great access to education for students who wouldn't normally have it? You know, at Jackson State, we celebrated First Generation Day like a lot of other institutions across the nation earlier this week. But for us, that means something because a healthy number of our students continue to be first generation. Mm. In practical sense, that means they're the first generation. Uh, these students are the first ones in their families that's had to deal with financial aid. They're the first ones in their family that's going to deal with residence halls, going to deal with deans, professors, being in this college environment. That means something. And if we're going to continue to be rooted in the values of access and equality, we have to continue to provide that value and to provide those services to those first generation students. That has to be at the front of your mind when you are a leader of an institution, especially in HBCU at Jackson State University. So again, we want to remain flexible in terms of our curriculum, in terms of our programming, learning what's next and being at the forefront of that. But you have to be grounded in something. I can say for me as a leader, those principles of access and equality are very key in the makeup of who I am and what I've become as a leader. Okay, so let's, let's make this a little bit about you personally, Thomas. Uh, you being the leader, your particular mindset, how do you prepare? Uh, what is it that, like, how do you even, you know, do you, do you have, did you have mentors? Were there books? Did you have coaching? Like, what was it that got you mentally prepared for this leadership role? Well, it's really all of the above. You know, it's a lifelong preparation. Of course, you can, you want to read as much as you can. Always uh, find value in reading books about the contributions of others, even those who are outside my profession you know, reading about other leaders, whether they're in the areas of sports, uh, politics, you know, learning how they made decisions and how those, how they made the type of decisions that impacted those for generations to come and just learning as much as you can about that. Also mentorship is, is very important. Being under people who've done it before, I was blessed to have a great mentor uh, in Dr. Rod Page, who was a former secretary of education, but also in a general law, but also interim president of Jackson State University. And just really having that model to follow, seeing someone who has done it at the highest level. And again, how they make the type of decisions, those legacy decisions that will impact generations to come. And the process of preparation for all of that is, again, you know, you have to stay rooted uh, in your core values. You have to stay grounded in prayer. Uh, you have to make sure you have a circle and a social system around you that's supportive of where you're trying to go as a leader. But you also, as yourself, have to understand the meaning of service. You have to understand the reason you're here. And you understand that the decisions you make are not about you, but it's about those that you're called to serve. That's the advice I would give to anyone. How you go about your journey, again, is going to be individual to you. But certainly having that great mentorship and being rooted in, core, in some core value is going to carry you where you need to be. Great. So what's your mentor, Dr. Page? Was it someone who like literally took you under his wing? Was it something you watched from afar? Like, what was that interaction and relationship like? Uh, it, it was really both. Uh, you know, he did take me under his wing. I was able to, <clears throat> excuse me, watch him uh, close up, be at the table as decisions were being made, uh, be a part of that decision-making, if you will, some very tough decisions that had to be made. So I was able to be there up close, but you also watch a person from afar. You know, you watch, how they interact, you watch how they make decisions, you know, their demeanor, uh, what are some of the things they do, those quiet things that inspire the confidence of others, things that you really wouldn't know unless you're right there and you're really observing. And so there's a lot of takeaways, and you know, him and others, uh, people who I've had the opportunity to observe, people who you might not have ever met, but you're able to observe, you're able to read about them, able to really go through their top process, really decision-making. I keep going back to that because a lot of times it really comes down to what decision you're making and how does that decision impact the institution you're responsible for long-term and what type of care you put into those decisions. You can learn a lot from the leaders of the past and the leaders of today in terms of what goes into making those decisions, You know, how do you do that, how timely they are, and then how do you deal with the impact of those decisions from years to come. There, there's a lot of, there's many books you can read that can help you with that, but there's nothing like having that mentor and that person 
that you can watch up close and who will take the time to work with you and explain those things uh, that will really help you go on your career path. Yeah, no, definitely. So you mentioned books a couple of different times. I'm a huge uh, advocate reader. You know, I'm a two-time author myself. What, what are some books that you would recommend to someone? Because, you know, everybody says, hey, read books, read this. But a lot of times people are like, I don't know what to read. Do I read fiction books? Do I read, you know, novels? I know there's self-help books. Uh, what books would you recommend? What's in, what's in Thomas' collection of, of, of reading? You know, I'll give you uh, just a couple because I'm a big nonfiction reader, right? Okay. So, uh, biographies, uh, reading about others. Uh, the best book on leadership I've ever read was called The President's Club, okay? Mm -hmm. And The President's Club really traced uh, the transition of power of U.S. presidents going back from Herbert Hoover all the way through Barack Obama. And what it talked about is how those presidents interact with each other. But within that book, you saw a lot about leadership and decision-making within the transition of powers and how those former presidents, often of different parties and of different values, interacted with each other. So many lessons that I learned in that book. Uh, it, unexpectedly, because that was not the reason I read it. I didn't know I was getting a great book on leadership. I thought it would just be an interesting uh, study, but it, it was really a great book in terms of how do you transition power and how that really sets up the organization or the entity that you're responsible for, for its future and how you leave it and how you enter it. So that's one book I would say. Uh, another book, uh, if you've ever read uh, Barack Obama's uh, bio, and I'm sure most of us have, Dreams from My Father, really good book in terms of just kind of looking at the inner psyche of a person, what goes into making a future leader? What are some of the things? What are some of the differences? What do you learn early about a person that makes them the leader of today? When he wrote that book, he wrote it without being president in mind, but yet you can see some of the elements of what made him such a great leader within that book. And it's just a really good case study in terms of following a future leader to their next steps. So again, there's a number of other books I could certainly recommend, happy to provide a book list, but those are two that I think are very important and, and will definitely influence you to me. Right, so two part question here, Thomas, uh, going back to the mentorship portion, because I think that's something that I personally think that is undervalued. You know, I, we, we hear this term, I'm self-made, and it's almost like we use that as a, as a, as a, a statement of bravado. So in the two-part question, what, were, what would you say was one of the most valuable lessons you've learned from your mentor? And what value do you put on mentorship? Because I'm sure you, you would be a mentor for a lot of students at the university. Well, to answer the second question first, uh, you know, I put a great value on that. Now, I'm a believer that mentorship has to be organic, meaning, you know, it's not something that's ever forced. You don't force your mentorship on any one person, nor do you force anyone to do that to you. But what you do is really just build a relationship. You build great relationships with people who are in the positions that you seek to be in, and you learn as much as you can from them, either, as you said, up close or even from afar. So I'm a big believer in mentorship. It certainly helped me as my career has gone on. Every time I've been able to engage in a relationship, a mentor-mentee relationship, it has been organic, it has been a lot of times unexpected, but it's always been fulfilling because of the different things that you learn. And so those are just some of the things that you definitely look for in terms of that mentor-mentee relationship that we, uh, that, that must always continue. That's the circle and, and really the core of the African-American community. Right, and then we're, we're going back to the first part of that, the, uh, you know, one of the most important lessons that you receive from your mentor. Well, you know what? It's about temperament. Uh, probably the most important lessons is how you come across the way you say things matter more than what you say, than what you actually say, if that makes sense. Meaning how you come across to others, you can be right 100% of the time. You can be brilliant, you can be right, you can have all the right answers, but can you get other people to follow you? Are people willing to allow you to lead them? And so a lot of that is just your temperament how you lead. Are people willing to follow you into the foxhole based on the confidence that you inspire in them? And a lot of that, so much of that has to do with your demeanor and your temperament when making decisions, when uh, making those tough choices, and when communicating that to those who you're tasked with leading. And learning how to do that and being mindful of that is probably the, one of the best lessons I've learned 
just because, you know, for me, it was always about, well, hey, what's the right thing to do? How do we make the best decision possible for the group that we're responsible for, the entity that we're tasked with serving? But again, how you do that is just as important in what you do. The way you come across is just as important as the information you're communicating. Those are just great lessons that I've been able to learn and I've been able to impart in my leadership style. Yeah, no, uh, I, I love that, man, because, and I love the piece where you talked about mentorship being organic. And, 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 and here's the other thing too that I often say about mentorship. It doesn't necessarily have to be in the particular field or profession. They don't necessarily have to align because like you say, you could meet a, a, a person who you deem as a, a mentor who can teach you temperament. Then you can meet someone who could teach you about, you know, goal setting. You can meet someone who teach you about fitness and health. And so there's a, 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 just a multitude of different spaces where you can learn that type of information because I, I really do feel that all of that goes hand in hand. And so I want to rewind a little bit here, Thomas, and talk about, you know, your private practice. Uh, you know, you, you do have a law degree. Uh, how has going through that process, because, you know, I have, you know, quite a bit of friends and family members who've went through and got their law degree, and I know it teaches them a certain level of discipline and, and temperament because being an attorney could be uh, something that, depending on the area of practice, you have to have a certain level of, what I would say, we'll just say you do have to have a certain level of temperament. How has that been beneficial for you in transitioning to now being the president of Jackson State University? Well, you know, it teaches you a lot about uh, compliance, uh, how things are supposed to work and how do you make sure what you're doing aligns with the standards of the time. And, you know, all colleges, we deal with assessment, we deal with accreditation. That's really second nature to someone from a legal background because a lot of what you do, again, is rooted in making sure you're compliant with certain standards. So those things are very important. And, and those are just principles that we, again, bring with us as attorneys. Also, there's just this sense of, you know, just, just a kind of a toughness, I believe, to build up as an attorney. I was explaining to someone the other day that the entire purpose of the person on the other side when you're in that adversarial relationship as an attorney is for them to do everything they can to make sure you fail, okay? Uh, and what you have to do is on the other side, continue to advocate for what you believe in for the interests of your clients so that you may succeed. And that's really great preparation, not because, you know, higher ed is a battleground by any means, but a lot of what we're doing is rooted in values that other people oppose. You know, there are a lot of people who don't believe in access. There are a lot of people who don't believe in affordability, that college should be for everyone. So how do I use my background to continue to advocate on behalf of those, you know, who are most affected by that type of thinking? Again, just rooted in that adversarial process has been very helpful to me in higher ed, just learning a different way of thinking and a different way of going about things, you know, versus someone who might have come through the academic background. All of those things are valuable. I'm a believer that everyone's background prepares them for what they ultimately have to do. It just for mine on that legal side, those are some of the things that I was able to take with me. Right. Now you also thought you also touched on, you know. A lot of enrollees at Jackson State are first generation uh, uh, enrollees. You know, is there a certain type of messaging that you normally convey when people are, you know, looking at their selections of picking that university? Because there's a lot of proudness that goes into being that first time or generation of someone going into higher education. So what type of things do you guys do to help people with that, 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 that decision process of picking Jackson State as their potential uh, uh, university? Well, what you do is talk about the nurturing environment that exists uh, at Jackson State and really at all HBCUs. Uh, again, I talk about the leadership. Uh, being a part of an organization or a system or an entity that was designed with you in mind, which is not always the case. So you really play up those things, you play up the environment, you play up the ways that we're going to make sure we help you succeed. And finally, you go to the outcomes. You know, you might start here as a first generation student, but look what you look at what you can become. Look at the examples of those who are like you who have gone on to do great things. Those are really the elements that you push. Uh, we're really when you're talking to all students, but especially that's a message that resonates with those first generation students. Definitely. Now, I know you guys are competitive when it comes to sports. 
is there a certain level of competitiveness when it comes to enrollment? <laughs> you know, if someone's saying, hey, I want to go here, and you're like, no, let us tell you why you should enroll here. Is, is, is there some competitiveness when it comes to enrollment as well? Well, you know, it's interesting because you would think that, right? But right. the fact is, I believe there are enough students out here for everyone. When you look okay. at the number of students and the number of African-Americans who do not enroll in four-year colleges after high school, right? When you look at those numbers, you see that there are a lot of students being left behind. And so it's really about going out there, finding the type of students who are the best fit for your university. There's plenty of students out here for all of us to educate. Uh, there's plenty of students out here all, for all of us to develop, to help them matriculate and really reach their life's goals. And it's a matter of going out there and capturing those students. Uh, certainly, as you said, we're competitive on the football field, we're competitive in other matters, but when it comes to educating that next generation of African-American students, we're all together on that. We're all aligned, we're all in sync. It's about going out there and providing access to as many students as possible so they too can live out their dreams. And, and again, there's plenty of students enough out there for all of us uh, you know, to truly make sure we meet our enrollment goals, our targets, but also continue to access students. Yeah, no, I, I love that because, you know, in going back to the, the competitiveness side of enrollment uh, and then even bringing the sports uh, back into it, I know Master P recently let his son enroll in the HBCU to bring more light from recruitment standpoint of going from college to the NBA because, you know, there's been this ongoing dialogue about, you know, could you imagine the likeness of someone like a LeBron James going to a Jackson State? or Carmelo Anthony or some of those Hall of Famers, you know, uh, is, is that something that you guys often talk about in going after those higher tier recruitment, uh, recruits, even from a sports standpoint? Well, you know, you might have heard we hired a coach recently, right? Uh, <laughs> and, uh, you know, he, he has been very aggressive Absolutely. after those top level, those three and four star recruits, if you will. Uh, starting with his own sons, you know, who are highly sought after players who chose to follow him to Jackson State University. Uh, of course, I'm talking about Coach Prime, Deion Sanders. Absolutely. So uh, he's very aggressive in that market. But when you look at it, it's not just, we look at it on the athletic side because that's going to be the most public side of things. But, you know, we have future role scholars who are our role scholar candidates, at least, who are enrolled right here at Jackson State University. We have those who reach that presidential scholar level, which to be that means you can really go to any university, any college or university in the world that you want to, but you chose to attend, stay right here and attend Jackson State University. So again, we go after those top level students. We believe in access and equity for all. But yes, we're not shy about going after those top tier students, whether they're on and off that athletic field. Yeah, no, definitely. And that was actually uh, kind of prepping me for the question because, you know, I'm very familiar with who you guys did hire. And I know there was a lot of attention around that. I was excited again because, you know, I've been following just uh, Jackson State for a while because, again, growing up in Mississippi while I was in high school, you know, I, I'm a huge fan of always coming to homecoming. You guys always, you know, your rivals. Uh, I also was in a band when I was in uh, high school in Mississippi. And so I'm a huge fan of, you know, uh, the sonic boom and all of that. And, you know, just the culture of, of Jackson State University, it, it, it really, like, I could understand why if someone was to come there on a visit, the culture alone would draw you down there. You know, the, the, the food, the, the scene. I mean, it's, and, and even just from a, and something I also learned just about the state of Jackson, or excuse me, the city of Jackson, that it has a very rich culture in music. You know, a lot of people have broken their musical careers in, Jackson, uh, in the city of Jackson and coming through there. And so just overall, um, you know, even the outlying uh, parts of the city that helps with the recruitment for someone who may be coming from out of state. So do you guys have really strong efforts even for uh, recruitment outside of the state of Mississippi? And then uh, second part to that question, excuse me, uh, what about for our non-African-American uh, students who potentially want to enroll? Is that also something that you guys strive for? Well, absolutely. Yes to both. Uh, you know, we have a very robust out-of-state market. We're very strong in the Midwest in places like Detroit, Chicago, uh, getting even stronger in places in Texas, Houston, Dallas, strong alumni chapters, uh, a lot of students who are coming back 
uh, from their parents to Jackson State University and even across the United States, Atlanta, Washington, D.C., uh, very strong in terms of our out-of-state recruiting. You're right. Uh, is whether it's out-of-state recruitment or whether it's uh, the recruitment of non-African-American students. It's about showing the culture here. It's about showing what a great place this is to spend time. But it's also about the academic program offerings, over 90 academic programs that we offer. Uh, and I tell people we have the same accreditation, whether it's from the College of Business or whether it's our College of Engineering, that your larger schools have. And again, those same companies that recruit at your larger institutions Recruit at HBCUs like Jackson State University, a great place where you can go, have a great time, soak in the culture, but most importantly, get your education. Get a great first-class education that will take you all over the world, literally wherever you want to go. And we have graduates who have borne that out and proven that time and time again. So those are the things that we certainly want to emphasize. Uh, for us, though, beyond the culture and even beyond the curriculum, taking those steps to make sure that you know that we want you making sure our internal processes are such that we make it easier for you uh, to become a part of Jackson State University. Admittedly, we have some work to do on that end, but that's really one of the things we're striving for, making sure that the experience that you get matches the great culture and the great things that we tell you about here at Jackson State University. Right, so when it comes to curriculum, and I like that's a perfect segue, what do you say to that individual who's, you know, who, who's that first time generation uh, of, of someone in their family of potentially going to college, but everyone in their family has been screaming entrepreneurship, but they feel that a mixture of both would be beneficial, meaning the actual enrollee. Um, how would you guys encourage someone to say, hey, this higher education is still gonna be beneficial for you on your role or journey to entrepreneurship? Because I know you guys, like you mentioned, you know, your strategic plan and creating curriculums around, you know, your financial wellness program. Like, how do you, um, you know, adhere to someone who may have those type of questions or concerns and feel that, you know, going strictly just through higher education may uh, indoctrinate them to actually have a different mindset besides entrepreneurship? Well, you know, it's not a gift or an R, right? It's you can do both. You know, you can be a great entrepreneur and you can learn uh, the tips, the technical aspect of being an entrepreneur. You can have a great product, you can have a great idea, but how do you bring that great idea to market? Well, you learn those strategies by and large in higher education at a college and university. So really you can do both. You can have a great idea, you can have a great product, you can have something that you say, hey, this is inside me that I know the world wants to see. I have something that the world wants to purchase. But how do you bring it to fruition? How do you take that vision that you have inside of you and bring it to life? That's where Jackson State comes in. You come in with the raw tools needed to succeed. You already come to us with that. But what type of environment can we provide that nurtures you and it helps you really take that next step and really helps develop you so those great things that you have inside of you can come out and really come to life? That's the role of the Jackson State University. We merely help you again, become that person who you were meant to be. Uh, that, that's our job. And we've done that time and time again. So uh, that would be my message to anyone who thinks that, well, do I have to choose? The answer is you do not have to choose. You can definitely do both. Uh, you can certainly do both here from Jackson State University. No, I love that. And, and you talked about really helping them push out their strengths, but then you guys adding uh, to that. And so I, I definitely appreciate that, Thomas. And so uh, in, in my uh, closing question, uh, I, I want to ask, and I typically ask all of my guests, you know, what is that one thing you wish you would have known on this path uh, in the beginning of your journey that you think that would have helped you, uh, you know, even to, to get to where you are, not necessarily faster, but, you know, sometimes we have to go through those hurdles. I'm sure you've had your fair share of experiences, but that one thing that possibly for those who are listening to this, that could help them not necessarily make the same mistakes that, you know, we often make while we're going on our paths of, of wherever our end goal is. You know, that's interesting. And it's almost a hard question because philosophically, I believe that everyone's journey uh, is exclusive and unique and can only happen one way. Meaning my journey to where I am now could have only happened the way that it did happen. And that's what all the mistakes, all the pitfalls, 
all the successes, the pluses and minuses that led me to this point. So it's hard to pick out any one thing that I said, basically, well, if the, I wish this hadn't happened, and if it hadn't, I would have gotten here quicker. I just think we all have a unique little journey that God leads us on to get us to where we need to be. But if I can tell you some life lessons that I've certainly learned along my way and some of the things that are is helping me continue to become better and continue to evolve. Uh, one thing I'll say is that, you know, and I've been working with this on, with my own team, is how do you get to solutions quicker? You know, a lot of times we spend a lot of time when we look at situations, we're able to assess, uh, make a diagnosis, but we tend to stay there. We tend to stay in the space where we're doing assessment, we're diagnosing, we're really seeing, okay, what's the issue here? What's the problem? What's the problem? We're studying it. But how do you get to the solution quicker? That's what people are looking for. That's what society demands. Uh, that's what our students demand. When we have a problem here on campus, they don't want me to spend a lot of time kind of assessing, thinking through it trying to find the best way. They want me to get to the solution quicker and do those things which makes their lives better, makes their path to uh, excellence easier. And so if, if there's any one thing that I could tell anyone when you are a leader, it's that you wanna get to the solution quicker when you're faced with an issue. Uh, that certainly helped me and it's something that I'm continuing to involve on as I go on my leadership journey. No, I love that Thomas. And, and, and I often tell people, if we became more solution oriented, we, would ha we wouldn't have time to even complain about the problem, <laughs> you know, because we're so focused on, okay, if I'm hungry, I know, go get me something to eat, as opposed to saying I'm hungry or complaining about being hungry. So I love that. So Thomas, man, thank you for taking time out your very busy schedule today. I know you could have been anywhere else, uh, but you chose to spend time here with myself and my audience. How can people stay in touch with the development of, you know, the uh, financial wellness program and, 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 and get more information about that? Well, you can always follow us on our website, www.jsums.edu. Uh, you can also reach me on Twitter. I'm on Twitter as JSUPrez with the Z, J-S-U-P-R-E-Z. Uh, that's my Twitter handle. And, and again, just reach out to us. Uh, you know, Jackson State is, is a very popular, very known university. Uh, so do keep up with what's going on. We have a lot of exciting things coming down. I try to keep people informed about what I'm doing and what the university is doing. Again, through my Twitter and through the university social media pages. So again, just go on our website, uh, find us on Twitter, find me on Twitter at JSU Press, and do keep up with what's, what's going on at Jackson State University and do not hesitate to reach out to us. Uh, we love to hear from you. We love to hear uh, about how you feel about the things we're doing. And we love to educate your children uh, as you continue to go on your life's journey. Absolutely. So again, Thomas Hudson, president of Jackson State University. We appreciate you. Again, my name is Will Roundtree with the Full-Time CEO Podcast, The Shit They Don't Tell You. And again, make sure you got your notifications on. Make sure you tune in because you never know what special guests we're going to have on the next episode. So until then, I'll see you guys at the top. Peace.